So we have Pulitzer Prize winner, war correspondent Chris Hedges. And he returns to the sanctuary for independent media on the subject of his latest book titled The Greatest Evil is War. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you. You're no stranger to the sanctuary. You've stopped by with your book, Our Class, Trauma and Transformation in the American Prison. But that's another story. After some time, you've written another book about war. Well, the war in Ukraine, with the same kind of national euphoria for industrial slaughter. I was in Eastern Europe in 1989, and I covered the revolutions and the collapse of the Soviet Union. So I was acutely aware of the promises that were made by German Foreign Minister Hans Dietrich Genscher, uh, James Baker, who was then Secretary of State, Margaret Thatcher to Gorbachev not to expand NATO beyond the borders of a unified Germany, uh, much less station NATO troops in Eastern and Central Europe. This was a tragic decision. Uh, Gorbachev wanted to create uh, both a security and economic alliance with Europe and the United States, as did Yeltsin, as in the early years did Putin. Uh, So all of this was foreseeable, as George Kennan and others had pointed out. Uh, Kennan, the great uh, Soviet specialist, called it the greatest blunder in post-Cold War history. Uh, And so it was kind of chronicle of a war foretold. It doesn't excuse, of course, what Russia did in the invasion of Ukraine as preemptive war. It's a war crime. It should have never happened. And the massive confusion of uh, weapons systems and, and assistance into Ukraine, the United States alone has given $50 billion. I mean, the budget of the State Department is only $60 billion, to put it in kind of perspective. Uh, means that Zelensky has no incentive at all to negotiate and the country will just be devastated. Uh, Even the New York Times editorial on the war said the idea that there won't have to be a negotiated peace and certainly in the areas controlled by ethnic Russians, a kind of land for peace deal is unrealistic. And so we get this proxy war to degrade Russia. The Ukrainians will bleed rivers of blood. So that was really it. And I had resisted. I didn't want to do another book on war. War is a force that gives us meaning. had been my own reflections on the culture of war. It was an extremely painful and difficult book to write. But City Lights and Seven Stories Press kept pushing me. I had written some columns on Ukraine that they thought were important. Uh, And I went back and looked over the last 20 years. And in fact, I'd written quite a bit on war, not my own experiences in war, but really seeking out those who are tossed aside as the kind of human detritus of war, the paraplegic Thomas Young. I went out to Kansas City after he announced that he was going to uncouple his feeding tube uh, and commit suicide. and uh, He couldn't hold a pen. He dictated his last letter to Bush and Cheney, very powerful, and uh, a woman who worked in the mortuary unit, a Marine. So I I picked out all those aspects of war that I knew very well, but they're not my stories, unlike Wars of Force Exist, meaning they're the stories of others. You really go in for the individual, the people, the human beings that are involved in war and the repercussions of what happens to the individual. It's almost all reported. It's all contemporary. So it's, you know, for instance, the father of a son, his 20-year-old son was a Marine and was killed in Iraq. Uh, it's, it's all stories. 
uh, that expose the reality of, of war. Uh, a chapter called Orphans. I mean, it's kind of stripped down, the, the act of killing orphans uh, when the bodies come home. And the, the chapter on orphans is with a survivor from Auschwitz. Uh, she was in Auschwitz when she was 14, and her entire family was killed, and she's left alone as a 14-year-old girl at the end of the war. So uh, it, it, it's about what war does to societies and individuals, but told through these accounts. Amazing. Your background basically is minister. Well, pastor. my background is a new, newspaper reporter. I was a newspaper sure, reporter. Sure, sure. But, I mean, uh, that certainly had to have some influence on how you perceive no, it, it what's going influence. on and how you report. Well, it has an influence on how I perceive the world. I mean, I graduated from Harvard Divinity School, but as soon as I graduated, I went to El Salvador and started as a freelance reporter and then ended up working for the New York Times overseas. But I was overseas for 20 years. So my formation is more out of the world of journalism than the clergy, although I, I certainly have that background. But what possessed you to start journalism? What made you feel that the words were important for you to interpret well, was, what's because going I was on? Well, I was a writer by nature. So I published my first piece when I was 12 and as history of my father's church. I published in the Christian Science Monitor when I was in college, but I had a hard time reconciling the social activism of my father, a World War II vet who uh, was very involved in the anti-war movement and the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement, uh, which the church did not take well, but his, my uncle, his brother was gay. So I, I didn't uh, buy into the neutrality and objectivity, certainly not about injustice, not about human suffering. And my second year at Harvard Divinity School, I uh, developed a friendship with a guy named Robert Cox, who had been the editor of the Buenos Aires Herald during the Dirty War in Argentina, when the Argentine military junta disappeared 30,000 of its own citizens, and he had printed the only newspaper in Argentina to do it, printed the names of the Desaparecidos on the front page. And that was a kind of wake-up call of the importance of journalism. And uh, so I decided to go to El Salvador at the time. The death squads were killing between 700 and 1,000 people a month, backed by the Reagan administration, and use my writing, as James Baldwin says, like a weapon to amplify the suffering of those James Cone called the crucified of the earth, to give them a voice, and and that's what I always have done. So I, I, my whole career was, I was in the Middle East. I covered the war in Yugoslavia. I was based in Sarajevo. So. I suppose the Middle East was festering before you decided to learn the Arabic language. Was that in preparation? Did you understand that you may be going there? Did you feel there was no, no? I, I covered the war and the wars in Guatemala, Nicaragua, and El Salvador for five years. I never wanted to leave Latin America. I'm bilingual in Spanish. I wanted to go to South America, and my paper, I was working for the Dallas Morning News at the time. They didn't want to open a bureau. In South America, they offered me London or Jerusalem, and I didn't want to go to London. Uh, I love London, but I didn't want to be a reporter there. And so I accepted Jerusalem with the caveat that I could take a year off and study Arabic because I don't know right. covering countries where I don't speak the language. You found yourself working for the Times at the time? No, I, uh, 1988 to 1990, I worked for the Dallas Morning News as the Middle East Bureau Chief. And then in 1990, I was hired by the New York Times. You've seen so many ugly things of war. It had to have had a huge effect on you. 
I mean, not only yeah, as course. a journalist, how can you be objective and see uh, something like that and not have it affect you? Of course, of course. I think all war reporters carry trauma that's often very similar to combat veterans or victims. Of, yeah. Can you be objective under a situation like that? No, I'm not. I wasn't objective about. I mean, that's no. ridiculous. If you're objective, yeah. you know that means somehow you don't have a heart. Uh, how can you not be outraged by the murder of children, which the Israelis carry out, uh, or Sarajevo? I mean, I think 2,000 children died finally in that siege, and often many of them shot by snipers. So, I mean, how can you look at the body of a child and somehow not feel outrage and and uh, tremendous sadness? That doesn't. There's a difference. I mean, there's no wrong, there's nothing wrong with those feelings. What's wrong is manipulating or not telling the truth. So it's it's uh, and and that's what journalists do. They manipulate facts. So I can take facts and uh, uh, use them to form a story that gives any impression. And if I'm if I want to placate the powerful, I can use those facts to placate the powerful. But if you're a good reporter, then your goal is to take those facts or marshal those facts in order to tell the truth. And sometimes telling the truth, especially if you're up against the Israel lobby, jeopardizes your career. Um, and, uh, and so this kind of faux objectivity, faux neutrality, uh, is really just a cover often for obscuring the truth. This has been Andrea Kunla for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine speaking with Pulitzer Prize winner, war correspondent, Chris Hedges, on the subject of his latest book, The Greatest Evil is War.